0: Welcome to the Realized Gains podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts on YouTube or at jordanleemortgage.com.
1: You know, our perspective is like, we're in the business of serving subcontractors, right? Like, it's kind of an environment of high dependence. You have those key relationships that, by proxy to their skills and competence, more or less build out your, your, quote, team's competence through accessibility to those, you know, those highly skilled subcontracting performers. I mean, those
2: are hard to find. I mean, working with contractors myself, I mean, when you find a contractor who's good at what they do,
1: is reliable, you hold on to them for dear life. Yeah, no, for sure. Whether it's rehabbing, you know, fix and flip, larger complex, it's so worthwhile to slow down and and just figure out kind of what your philosophy of hiring is. Mm -hmm. Um, in the early years certainly do you want to receive three to five bids on every scope of work and, and walk the site? Yeah, probably. But like you say, like when when you get a few reps under your belt and you see The skill of individuals who can help you see around the corner and problem solve, the value of that is so much more than just the incremental savings.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. We're on episode 59 now, and Happy New Year. Uh, I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I'm also an investor in short-term rentals and multifamily.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, Um, mortgage lender licensed in about nine states and based here in Portland, Oregon, and
2: I invest in single family, and we just put together a duplex as well. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that at some point. But uh, (laughs) hey Jordan, who did we interview for this podcast?
0: Oh yeah, we had a, Really interesting interview today with Landon Hatton, who is a a developer based in the
2: Salem area. And he combines um, development with syndication. Yeah, and usually when I think about syndication, I'm thinking about buying like existing properties, but obviously he's doing that with new construction. And he kind of goes through the nuances of doing syndication for that, um, how you plan for that, obviously, because you don't have existing rent rolls and everything. And uh, the differences between uh, that process and obviously doing a syndication for, you know, like an existing deal or a remodel. Yeah. yeah. And and the other thing
0: that Landon talked about in this podcast um, was about like education and jobs in the construction field, which I think is super interesting if you are interested in getting to that field. Yeah.
2: Hey, guys, welcome to the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tram. And I'm your
0: co-host, Jordan Lee here, and I'm super excited to have uh, my friend Landon Hatton here on, who is, who is a local developer, and I actually, you know, I always make the joke that my marketing and I do through playing basketball, and everyone's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You just do that for fun. But I met Landon through playing basketball, so uh, <laughs> real quick, Landon, do you want to just um, kind of give us your, your sort of background story? Like, are you from the Salem area? How did you get into it? And then, like, what, how did you get what's that path to real estate how did you make that happen
1: yeah no doubt so i grew up in dallas oregon which is like 30 miles west of salem so Mm -hmm. smaller community uh love the experience single high school town right so basically you have this core group of friends that if mom and pop stay in town then then you kind of migrate through that schooling experience together Mm -hmm. Um, so that was really unique i would move to a small community and try to deliver the same thing to my kids in a heartbeat um if given the opportunity but um went to Corbin University, which is in Salem, mm. um, actually was trying to chase down some hoop dreams at the time <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, within a year. Uh, priority shift, right, quick in that season of life. So I uh, met my now wife um, and then got involved in some student government um, and just saw like the priority shifting and then on the business side, could tell there's some interest in, um, you know, business in general, um, early stages of, of interest in real estate. I remember being maybe a junior and senior and probably like either of you guys, you know, finding bigger pockets, doing the podcast, mm. um, spending time with blogs. And this just, is
0: where you were in college. You got started getting interested into podcasts. Yeah, wow, yeah. And okay, that was like early,
1: I guess, in the podcast evolution. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, you know, way was, earlier than most of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, you know, uh, I think bigger pockets is like an entry point for, for a lot of folks, mm-hmm. or just like totally. a, almost like a, um, I guess a, a point of input where you can kind of use it as a to Like, okay, I know I have this interest, but I haven't found that narrow path yet. And yeah. then um, it's such a great resource for a variety of different real estate endeavors and people's stories. So yeah, that kind of um, caught my interest early on. And then I guess uniquely as far as how it relates to like the development. Um, narrative and career path that i ended up taking um like i do remember just being really interested in like okay you see this built product at the end you see construction happening you see developments mm-hmm. that are taken, you know full cycle through construction and then stabilization become parts of your surrounding community and like it, it just wasn't something that you could see the result of and and work backwards yeah. and fill in the gaps as to like how do you actually get there and so um i think around that same time I came across just like, and and this is the the nerdy side coming out, but uh, basically like uh, each municipality has a revised code, right, Mm. so it's like a development code that Mm -hmm. governs land use planning and um, zoning, what's allowed in each zoning. And it was interesting to me, and I don't think I realized, like, not every kid would just, like, sit down and, like, read. <laughs> the first time you read code, you were like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. And it was just, when
0: I we read code, we're like, oh, God, I can't. Someone else read this for me? <laughs> yeah. I actually ignore all the code,
2: and I
1: pass it off to my partner. like, yeah, it looks fine. Yeah. That's, yeah, sounds good to yeah. me. You just need a zoning code guy, right? Yeah. And as long as, so, yeah. But I think as, a, as an entry point, right, early in those phases, you're just um, so eager and hungry. You have that appetite for um, any points of inference that are going to inform an effective navigation to to what it is you want to achieve. So um, that was kind of one of those uh, points.
2: Yeah. I mean, did that not seem overwhelming seeing these brand new, newly constructed buildings? And I'm going to I'm going to get into that. You didn't want to start with something smaller.
1: Yeah, that was early on. That was like just trying to find pinpoints um, that that uh, I thought would cross over and be motivating from a professional experience. But yeah, it was actually seasons later that I kind of came back to realize, you know, what the mm. connection was there. And so um, out of college, it was a few years uh, pursuing financial planning. So I went and got like series 66 and series seven, mm-hmm. pursuing that career path. Um, and it was a great experience, you know, from, a, um, you know, just, just really having to sink your teeth into a technical aspect. Um, delivering like high levels of due diligence, acting as a fiduciary, like all were, of those. Were things
0: you working benefit. for a financial firm or?
1: Yeah, yeah, Mayor Price Financial. Oh, okay, uh, like uh, in Salem, they have um, advisors all over, but um, for a small. Uh, Group out of Salem, and it was a great experience. You know, great team, great boss.
0: Were um, you on the sales side, or were you on the like under- kind of the
1: support, yeah, support, support role? Okay. So like being groomed to be an advisor, right.
0: um, early career. So an actual um, like kind of salary type yeah, position. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think you'd call it like a paraplanner, uh-huh. similar to like a paralegal. In, mm-hmm. in, but uh, you
0: still had to get all the licenses to mm-hmm. okay to talk with yeah. clients or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean, certainly not time like like that is not lost early in mm-hmm. um, in the phase of. Career and um, great environment, great exposure. Um, I, just the pace was was not a great fit for me, and so I think I, you know, through um, series of, of events, just came to have clarity in regards to um, how important like pace and environment and variety were going to be to mm-hmm. inform um, how to yeah find a career path that was really energizing and motivating, and um, so ultimately. <coughs> um, you know, moved away from that, um, that goal, that framework from a career perspective, jumped into project management. Um, but the thing of it is, is like, my dad was always doing projects growing up. And so, um, you know, I was the kid who, if there's a, a, a Blazers Rockets game on, I was wanting to watch the Blazers-Rockets game, but my dad had some rebar to set. He's like (laughs) pulling me out like, okay, let's set some rebar, and then you can watch the second half. Your dad
0: did this professionally or more? On the side, yeah, on the
1: side. And uh, so physical therapy by trade. And then, um, you know, he wouldn't probably call himself a real estate investor, but um, in in the small-town aspect, that's really what he was. Mm -hmm. And um, so seeing, you know, having an eye for deals, rentals, land swaps, things like that, a few new construction ground up. Um, and then just, you know, a little bit of exposure. Yeah, it sounds a lot like time, a serious so. real estate investor to <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> and it's funny, in, in small town aspects, it's, it just, it deals get done differently. Right, so I right. look back at some of the deals and how they came to be, and uh, they'd be hard to replicate in a smaller, or in a, in a larger environment. It was actually. more like person to
0: person. Like a handshake yeah. deal? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. and if you're a physical therapist in a town of 15,000 people, like you, you got some pretty good insights as uh-huh. to, Who's doing what and what's going on. And um, so, yeah, fun to kind of look back at, but um, gave me a little bit of like uh, familiarity by exposure, comfort by exposure um, in the construction environment growing up. Um, kind of returned to that. Um, so, uncharacteristic like path towards construction, right? Because you think blue collar, like skip college, and um, that's not necessary. Like, I, I did the college, I did, you know that and it wasn't it wasn't a waste but um returned to more of a blue collar industry through the the entry point of construction management i mean
0: they so, say that construction is blue collar but i mean don't const- project managers get isn't that a really <coughs> high salary these days yeah yeah
1: it is i mean you you talk about your time um like uh oh it was in the um after you moved from Portland, spent some time in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, yeah. So like that that area, if you come out of school with a construction management management degree right now, probably the Bay Area, or like Denver, um, growing municipalities, you'd probably be like base one hundred and twenty. Yeah. Like solid. taking a rip of of you know percentage of profit and incentive. You know, for, like it's it's a what competitive. Is, yeah. So what is
0: that incentive? Like, let's talk about that bonus just for our listeners who might be thinking about career paths. Yeah. So you're saying your base going to be like one hundred and twenty. What what about bonus wise commission wise how does that structure work in that field
1: yeah yeah i think if if you're in an area like that's that has really strong demographics um you know uh, a small amount of of talent that's going after uh, a really aggressive amount of, of development um i think you know you could see like base 120 and then you might see 20 to 50 grand of of profit oh. just depending on like time of delivery milestones um kind of your critical path type incentive plan and what education requirement is there that would be i think you know a construction manager yeah that degree? might just be as simple as a four-year four-year degree
0: and yeah. like pretty much they'll hire you right out like you don't have to have had experience on a job site or anything it could
1: be and it'll rile a lot of like their mom and dads are going to be like are you are you kidding me i'm you know they'll tell, you know, their sons and daughters that they don't know anything and they're coming out making 140 grand a year. But it is, it's a huge bias. And you think about the perception, um, you know, in your traditional school experiences, right? Growing up, like um, trying to make those um, career decisions. And I don't think the... um,
0: I mean that's as much or more than any. I mean, engineering is considered like the top that's, field, but I mean, that's, that's
2: like a software engineer salary, like If I mean, if not more than, if not more, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right out of college, I mean, I what is
0: that? And that. what does that job like look like in terms of day to day rough hours? Like, what are your kind of expectations? Do you have to like travel around a lot?
1: Yeah, in that type of setting, um, you know, you you may have kind of a geographical range um, mm-hmm. depending on size of company and kind of that territory. Um, that the particular company is going after, the asset class, um, it, it could look like a, a lot of different things. If you're building like franchises, um, you know, it, it could be uh, a removal and, you know, displacement for a time mm. on a contract basis. Um, if it's more kind of a established, you know, local construction firm, reputable, um, long-lasting um you know high visibility like rich duncan cd Reading mm-hmm. in in salem um you know there'd kind of be more of a, a a geographical boundary you know on that and then um so in terms of raising a family it could be it could be sustainable but um yeah i think oftentimes um it could be you know base base wage if you're delivering on a certain timeline um from a roles perspective, you've got project engineers who are doing a lot of submittals, um, documentation, um, detailing, ensuring plans and specs are congruent with the, with the built product. Uh, you've got a project manager who's gonna be facilitating you know, schedule, uh, municipalities, permits, uh, inspections, uh, hiring subs, ensuring that the, the critical path is being, is being <coughs> flown through and executed. And then, um, you know, more of your boots on the ground guys, which would be your traditional, you know, superintendent, Mm -hmm. um, senior foreman type of roles who um, are going to have really strong construction knowledge, experience in the field, um, strong leadership capabilities in terms of um, kind of quarterbacking a variety of different uh, professional subcontractors and and trades that are going to be required to get a project done. And uh, you, oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask about just like the coursework uh, to get this construction management degree. Is it more like a STEM type degree, or more like a business
1: degree in terms of the cl- course load? Yeah, I think I think you know you would you would benefit yourself to maybe have like a, a civil or structural engineering background. Um, you know, <clears throat> some I think engineering types will will gravitate into construction management after pursuing uh, an engineering degree. Mm. I think that has a lot of benefit just because, um, you know, the time spent there is going to allow you to have a really strong sense from just uh, the mechanics of the actual, you know, built environment complex, whatever it is that you're constructing. Um, You'll be able to, uh, from a technical perspective, really understand how to make um, those transitions between, you know, two-dimensional and three-dimensional or or digital to, Mm to the to the result, so I think there's certainly benefit there, but not necessarily a requirement. I think um, just because of the the trade, um, you know, and the shortage of, of skilled labor replacing um, folks who are are aging out of the industry, um, ultimately a four-year construction management management degree could could you know, well qualify you for a a position. And
0: is that like a 40 hour a week job or is it, is it typically you're expected to be more than that? Yeah.
1: I think, I think you could see some pretty aggressive hours, uh, especially early in career. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, um, yeah, salary position with, with incentive benefits that are very, you know, results, um, oriented. Um, and so I think it, it could look like a lot of different things, obviously a lot of different roles and, um, you know but but certainly as an industry where regardless of season of life I, I really do think that construction offers kind of a place for mm-hmm. for everybody and even um, you know anything from um, finance to construction administration you've got the draw processing side right interfacing with uh, lenders mm-hmm. and institutions mm-hmm. where um, you know quality of, of presentation document management um, and just general contract familiarity is, is really important. And, and uh, Right.
0: There's so much uh, legal and financial stuff involved with development that I think people think of the construction field and they think of manual labor. But really, there's there's a whole other arm that's like, if you don't have this piece, like, you're never going to have this piece, right? There, there
1: certainly <laughs> is. Yeah, there certainly is. No doubt. So, yeah, it is an industry, I think, that has some biases that, that wrap around it. Um, you know, I, going back... Um, you know, probably biggest regrets is is not spending some more time in shop class or you know or CAD. Like you know, why I bypassed like taking you know drafting 101. Um, mm. I couldn't tell you, but um, I think a lot of it is just the perception of like why am I gonna why am i gonna spend time on an elective course that you know puts you closer to a perception that's that's not really reality. So yeah, it's been an energizing um, opportunity. My partner and I, Mark, um, started Skyline Builders, and then. Um, you know ultimately have just uh, built a small team, um, mm. but a small team of of folks who you know we describe as high caliber, highly reliable, high sense of ownership, and just try to create that um, you know energizing, um, synergizing type of, of environment in a small team culture where it's amazing to see you know in that small team environment what can what can be done, and um, you know I've I've learned a lot from the trades that surround us. Uh, we work with a number of different um, you know, subcontractors repetitiously and, um, yeah, you're hiring them for a specific need or role. You know, it might be something that seems, you know, very, um, simple, you know, like, like drywall it might be very complex, like excavation site development utilities. Uh, but it's, it's a huge blessing young as we are, you know, with the entry point and, and, you know, a fairly aggressive, um, few years of of scaling up just to have accessibility to those trusted key relationships because, you know, our perspective is like we're in the business um, of serving subcontractors, right? Like we exist because they exist. And so it is, um, Hmm. it's kind of an environment of high dependence. You have those key relationships that um, by proxy to their skills and competence, you can, um, you know, with judge, judgment and, and prudence, figuring out the, the right fit for the right circumstance, more or less build out your, your quote, team's competence yeah. through accessibility to those, you know, those highly skilled subcontracting performers. I mean, those are hard to find. I mean, let's just say, you know, like work with
2: contractors myself. I mean, when you find a, a contractor who's good at what they do, is reliable and you know and just can kind of keep on top of things you hold on to them for dear life you know no so doubt. i'm no sure doubt. that scales up with obviously when you get into development
1: yeah yeah no for sure and it's interesting i think you know um whether it's rehabbing you know fix and flip or remodel uh, personal home fourplex larger complex um you know i think it's 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 so worthwhile to slow down and and just figure out kind of what your philosophy of hiring is Mm -hmm. and you know what is it that you're going after Um, in the early years certainly do you want to receive you know three to five bids on every scope of work and and walk the site yeah probably you don't have the contextual information to make you know um, sound decisions perhaps but like you say like when when you get a few reps under your belt and you see um, the skill of individuals who can help you see around the corner and problem solve um, in a in a more predictive way you know that's uh, the value of that is is so much more than just the incremental savings that you might see between their price and like the low cost leader so it's it is interesting but man it's a it's such a value um i can just speak for the phase that we are in to have some you know known key relationships um names that you know, you know, are going to be part of what allows, you know, basically stability that you're Mm -hmm. building um, forward in the projects that that you're
2: going out. I mean, I kind of see it as business alignment. Like, let's say you're working with a a very good plumber, you know, who does all your plumbing for all your buildings. You Mm want to see that they want to grow at the speed that you're growing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, you know, that they, like, their goal is not to just, you know, I don't want to say this. Sit on their ass and just do kind of the job and then go home or whatever. But sure. if you're trying to grow and they're trying to grow, like, and you're aligned with that, then your businesses will grow together, and have that partnership and you know, like, have that synchronicity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's it's funny because you just look at the outcome, you know, and you're yeah. okay. I just need to hire a drywaller and it, just check it off the list. But to have that level of mm-hmm. insight to know like what is it that you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and the the outcome is the sum of the parts, right? And so. um our senior project managers, he says it more bluntly. He says like, "Who's your horse and who's your wagon?" Mm-hmm. You know, basically like who's pulling you forward and who's pulling you back, and just to be cognizant of that um, because it is what we're trying to deliver is is an experience. You know, it's it's an experience to an investor when we say we're going to deliver a project at a certain price, a certain timeline. Can we do that, and and with with what degree of confidence, and. Um, you know, when you look at, at the uh, the parts that make up that outcome, I think every every hiring decision is, you know, just as important as the other. So you,
0: you were working for a project product as a project manager, right? Mm-hmm. And you were were you captive for just like one company?
1: Yeah, yeah. So just employee W <clears> two <throat> okay. um, for for uh, a short time there, and, yeah, before and, making the jump.
0: And then did you start doing some like side projects on your own? Or how did you like Get to the point, or you, or did you just know that you wanted to become a developer and waited for the right opportunity, or how did that transition happen from being an employee to like, you know, becoming a developer?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was interesting. I think along the way, uh, it was clear to me as soon as I kind of jumped from financial planning into development um, that that I just couldn't think of anything else that was more um, interesting and in line, I guess, with kind of just the the makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the chemistry, would we'll call it the short attention span or, or uh, the motivation for a faster pace, um, then development. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I pretty much didn't question that. had an inclination that, that likely, um, you know, business ownership um, would be a part of that career path um, in the future. Um, but, you know, the, the early years for sure are foundational, just getting exposure points and reps, um, and having that that platform, mm-hmm. um, you know, transparently in the in the early years for me, it was it was finding my spot at a in an environment where um, you know the work required, uh, the additional hours spent, there wasn't um, there there wasn't really like a, um, equilibrium in right. terms of the cost benefit. Yeah. there. <laughs> and um, I'm su- I'm I'm summarizing it, but yeah. you know more or I less the, the yep. decision there um, at, at a certain point became. Um, if I'm if I'm willing to give these things up and work this hard yeah. for somebody else, then like can't I trust that I would do it for myself right. and, and mm-hmm. my family? And um, you know, I think there's there's a might be a TED talk that um, along the way that speaks to the idea of fear setting, mm-hmm. um, right? Which I think that those milestone moments in our lives can be really um, difficult, right? They can kind of freeze us in in moments where um, things that could occur in weeks end up taking years and i remember a a particular ted talk that um broke this idea out in terms of fear setting and it's obviously really simple we've all probably done it just happens to have a name um where you just say okay let's let's kind of war game these scenarios and and um our mind wants to gravitate to a worst case scenario that can't be defined but it's like no most cases you actually can define that worst case scenario and so, if I take this risk and I give these things up, I no longer have you know these you know areas of stability, and and I and I'm going to sign up for something that's unknown with a high ceiling, uh, but that can't be guaranteed. Like, how do I make sure that my downside is capped? And so, you know, it's just as simple as like. Do I have a mom and dad that love me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, are they local? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and and you know, uh, my wife and I started early. Like there was, there were kids a part of that, and there is, um, you know, certainly needs that needed to be met. But honestly, yeah, it was just the jumping off platform of of not really needing to question. Um, like I've, I've I've had the the season to really um, give myself the conviction and confidence mm-hmm. that. Um, like showing up isn't going to be an issue. Right. And, and a lot of it is just showing up. And, and so then when you've kind of uh, ripped the Band-Aid off, I think it, it does something psychologically um, to the weight that you put on, whatever the problems and obstacles are after that point, right? And, and at that point, um, I think, I think things seem to be more obtainable because you know what you've committed to. You know what you've given up to get there. And so you can kind of look at um, challenges in a more appropriate um, proportion, yeah. you know. And so from the development side, that's okay. It's, it's how do you work through permitting and work through financing, um, structuring debt, you know, working uh, to build investor relations, creating the mechanisms and, um, and the components that are necessary just to get to that end goal.
2: Um, so, I mean, I know you're coming from financial planning and you know about risk tolerance levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you consider yourself? I mean, you're making this jump, you know, to become a business owner, d- a developer. Uh, would you say you have a high or low risk tolerance?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think the way I function in my team right now is um, is actually probably uh, a fairly conservative um, tone in, in terms of my contribution to our, our team's dynamic. Um, you're the guy
0: that says no to projects.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I have to be careful and something I'm working on is, is not being the wet blanket and not being, um, you know, being, being, uh, real, you know, and, and having a priority to be, to see reality clearly, but also to encourage opportunity. And sometimes you really don't, don't know, you know, when we're, when we're on the deal hunt, right? Like you don't, you don't necessarily know all parts of the decision. And the feasibility and the likelihood of profit generation on a particular development deal on the on the onset, and so um, I think you know it's it's interesting because developer i think that word has a certain like high risk profile type of connotation and certainly like well that's everyone that went out of business risk, in 2008 yeah, right yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and right. destroyed the entire economy yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> the, that is certainly that is certainly the case and developer is a word that yeah is thrown in the mix when um when you think about 2008 and 2009 and um the the mortgage crisis and and that whole phase so it is it is interesting um, Mark my partner you know has a mortgage background mm. um, developed a, a portfolio um, in his early career um, that I think is really built off of uh, a strong and established skill set that he has which is you know conservative um, and and realistic underwriting mm. and and the buildup of A certain set of assumptions that have been back tested and quantified and then he has you know has a great skill set with just developing key relationships and understanding that yes financing is like a vehicle but the terms under that vehicle are equally as important and so it's like how do you how do you utilize and understand um, each of the tools within that that vehicle of financing um, that is going to create layers of insulation um, for you know sustainable Profit generation, and so you know, it's it's uh, it's really through um you know a combination of, of a lot of factors, but but Mark's um skill set strengths in those areas that I think we're able to kind of balance each other, and um you know, we we've done some personality profiling, and um, oh, there's a thousand of them out there, but there's one called CVI Core Values Index, and um, his primary kind of we'll call it personality profile is is visionary builder so it's it's visionary primary builder would be the the second wing and mine is builder primary visionary second mm. and so i think the way that that plays out in terms of um deal analysis underwriting um evaluating opportunities is that um he'll often like uh, he's extremely gifted with attracting opportunity right yeah. and then it's just how do we create um like a really uh I guess, practice candor, practice like a healthy level of, of, of disagreement, you know, in terms of um, can we communicate in a way where there might be might not be perfect symmetry uh, in terms of, you know, risk appetite, how we perceive the likelihood of a development to, to move forward, um, timing, return, risk, whatever those elements are. But, you know, can we communicate through each of those so that um, – The combination of of inputs provides for a more resilient uh, decision, whether it's go or no go. Um, And so, yeah, I think on on the team, I would say um, I tend to be more of a conservative voice. Part of that is probably just through, um, you know, a gained familiarity with the land use process and understanding um, how important the timing of execution is as it relates to the Right. If
0: you know the code, you're thinking about land in a way different way than... Than the person that's just looking at the final picture, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the code just determines how the process is going to go.
1: For sure. And what's what's interesting is you know we all underwrite to different return metrics, right? right? And like you guys probably in your portfolio are looking at you know a certain metrics, and and we're looking at certain metrics. So whether it's cash on cash, IRR. Um, you know whatever it, it may be a lot of the projects we're looking at is IRR because you know we have to communicate to the investors that are putting a dollar into our projects that we are going ground up we're, we're seeing these development opportunities full cycle we're enduring um, basically stabilization um, so through the lease up phase and upon the completion of that life you know basically that phase of the development life cycle then the asset begins producing revenue. And and so IRR, you know, as we know, like bakes in the time component of that return.
0: And can you explain the difference between cash and cash and IRR? Can you? <laughs> you you <laughs> probably
1: can better. So, um, okay, I'll do IRR, you do cash uh, on cash. So, uh, sure, yeah. so IRR is gonna take across um, uh, a set time, it's, it, it it's a function that is be, be able. It's going to be able to accommodate for different levels of return and equity events uh, across the timeline, and it's going to bake in the the time element to that return because we all hear the term a dollar today is worth right. you know more than a dollar tomorrow, and it's because what's the return potential of the dollar that you have today, and so um, it's essentially going to going to take into account. Okay, when are those return events occurring, and even if they're um, unequal. Basically, the, the the return is going to be factoring in um, both your time and and uh, the variation of your got it of your amount. So as it, as it, cash on cash isn't as um, repetitiously used in in our environment just because of our investment. because there's
0: longer time like you might be yeah. two years before you see a dollar right right
2: right yeah can you clarify what IRR stands for yeah
1: internal rate of return mm-hmm. yeah and so um it's actually like a pretty founded like if you took a investment fundamentals class like it just it'd probably be in your your 101 um excel um you know uh book or or coursework um and it's a really great tool and metric to use in my opinion um for a variety of different. Investments, but I guess the point I was trying to make is in terms of the importance of looking at projects from an IRR perspective It's easy to say well once this this development plan is wrapped up with a bow Then what is the IRR, but I think as developers you have to be very cognizant of um, What's what's your entitlement? uh, Process and exposure, you know the time that you're adding on just to get through these milestones uh, from a land use perspective permitting yeah. you know because you be have to rezone you, yeah. it's gonna
0: add X number of months to that Completely. That, that beginning period and it's going to change that IRR number by a lot
1: no doubt yeah so seeing it basically from the the point that the the first dollars put in um, all the way through completion of, of the project I think is is really important and that's maybe kind of where my voice of a little bit more of a conservative posture comes from just because um, having seen um, the difficulty in our state to navigate through the entitlement process—it's uh, a huge part, and and sometimes that portion of the project has a little lower level of control, just um, mm-hmm. to, to put it simply. Right. Um, and so I think it should—the the weight of that factor should should be appropriately um, accommodated for.
0: And that's why that metric is used for your industry and your field much more so than other metrics because there's a delayed time period when you're doing syndication most of the time right Yeah, I mean not always right sometimes it's already just like a new purchase and it's happening in 30 days or whatever but generally speaking it's a longer (coughs) time frame (laughs) on the development
2: side yeah yeah. Jordan I I thought you had a challenge of uh, defining cash on cash return
0: (laughs) I just think about that as like how how much cash you're gonna get back for your cash, get right? Cash in. Yeah. 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 Pretty pretty self-explain. That one that one's a little bit more easy to understand. I mean that's yeah. that's the easy metric of like, okay, I'm gonna spend you know fifty thousand dollars on this house. How much is it gonna return me? Because I'm not thinking about oh, it's gonna take me two years to build this house, and I'm gonna finance it in six different ways. It's more like I'm putting putting some money here. How long is it gonna take? T- like, and what am I gonna generally?
2: Get back? What are you getting the return in terms of a year? Like cash and cash return. So yeah. Like if I'm putting out $40,000 down payment and yeah. I'm making I don't know, $10,000. I'm I'm getting a 25% cash on cash return in in that in that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Per year, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cuz if I told you, "Hey, we're going to get a, you know, a 2.15x cash on cash multiple, um, I put a, you know, a pitch deck in front of you, um that might be extremely interesting um but if you have the same opportunity to do that like on a fix and flip that you can maybe get done and, do it in, in three, yeah, months three months or, or whatever yeah. i would say um i mean look at both but <laughs> you should probably do the fix and flip you know <laughs> all other elements outstanding
0: right because in my because in my thing here you're going to be stuck for five years yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: Yeah, no I, I, you know i do want to talk about like the time frames with your investors and like how long these people are basically putting their money in and what are they expecting return? Like, what does that generally look like? I mean, I know we had the generalizations of all the steps and how long it takes to build a building and entitlements and zoning and et cetera. And it might
0: be easier to just use the example of the deck that you sent me just recently, sure. like the project that you're working on.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So that, um, to take a step back, so we, we utilize um, syndication as a financing model. So we'll, you know, we'll basically go achieve... Uh, you know, institutional or, or traditional financing <clears> on <throat> project, bank financing, and then we have what's called the capital stack, right? And so that bank is going to require a certain equity contribution um, to, to make the project go forward, just like if you're buying a primary res, right? Yeah. Like what's your down payment? And so very similarly um, on larger projects, you have to come up with that that equity contribution and that's where the, the group of investors come in. So I think it's worthwhile just, take a step back because i think it is important to understand so by offering that opportunity it's a passive investment so Mm -hmm. it is considered a security And so you're bringing in um, an sec attorney you're working with you know a a cpa and you have essentially a professional team that's going to create a document package um you know entity docs PPM. And
0: do you have to have those licenses that you previously got as part of this?
1: I don't personally, um, in terms of the licenses. Um, that being said, by offering a security, you are acting as a fiduciary. right? And so, um, it you know, it's an interesting distinction because, you know, oftentimes um, you wouldn't maybe consider yourself like an investment professional. Uh-huh. But by offering that opportunity for an investor to participate passively, then, you know, by nature of, of that offering, it is, um, you know, putting you in the spot of, of the fiduciary. So you're having to make choices that are truly, um, you know, in a court of law would be uh, quantified to be in the in- investor's best right, right. interest. Yeah.
0: And, but you can't just offer it to the the full public, right? It's, it's just, just to uh, accredited, it, yeah, an accredited, accredited investor, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And there's a variety of different... so. Um, So basically, this kind of comes through um, securities law that was passed in 1933. Um, There are a variety of different designations that um, I probably won't go into in full, but there's um, uh, Regulation D, Rule 504, 506, essentially certain exemptions, that allow and disallow certain um, certain freedoms, I'll say. Okay. And so uh, based on the asset that you are delivering, the type of investor that you know that you want to attract, um, that will kind of help govern uh, which path makes sense for the particular um, fund or syndication. And so the SEC attorney essentially, you know, there's a very collaborative process that goes in to develop that. Um, so usually what it starts with is, you know, you look at the, the underwriting, the pro forma, you understand, okay, what does this, uh, this uh, business plan need to achieve? Mm. Um, therefore, who are the investors that you need to attract? And then um, through the exemptions that are allowed, um, essentially, you know, that kind of creates clarity for the SEC attorney to provide the structure and the framework because certain exemptions, for example, like uh, may prohibit you from marketing, uh, marketing your uh, investment opportunity openly. Maybe it requires you to have like a substantive uh, pre-existing relationship with mm. the the investor prior right, right. to the engagement. <clears throat> um,
0: like to, like someone that's already done a project or an investment with you before. Or yeah like that. yeah,
1: yeah, for sure and um, or you know long- term friend um, right, right. Okay. close relationship that way. Um, maybe family it's, member, yeah, family member, um, and then there's you know accredited investors. It, it might just you know specifically say, okay, you're you're only allowed to work with accredited or sophisticated investors mm-hmm. um, for a specific offering. And so um, it's a really it's a really fun and interesting environment because you know you're as the developer you're saying, okay, we've underwritten the project, we, we believe in the return profile. Um, but your your investor base might need to look different than yeah the the prior pro you know project and then the structure of your returns you know has to really uh, you have to really have an understanding of what it is your investor base expects and what's incentivizing in the marketplace you know because to your question about risk reward um an investor's going to be asking you know well um you know i've got a duplex down the street that i could buy I, you know i've done five fix and flips i could do another one I could put this in the stock market and and kind of understanding the the risk-return profile is interesting. So diff, different um, ways of structuring that. That probably warrants a whole different episode. But um, more or less, yeah, that's kind of the boundary in terms of the structure and who we're working with and how that gets done. Now you talked about the the offering or the pitch deck that that I sent you. So that's Hickory Lakes Apartments, right? So 60-unit new construction project. Um, it'd be your traditional three-story walk-up apartments. Um, it's in Lebanon, so um, Lebanon is.
0: Walk-up means that they all the entrances are individual entrances on like the out, outside balconies. Yeah, type good thing. good question.
1: Sorry, so um, to clarify, so three-story walk-up means basically that you're going to be served at all three levels by uh, stairways. Yeah, and so okay. you would have um, you'd have like low-rise construction, uh, which is usually like light wood frame construction. You'd have mid-rise, which sometimes has like a podium. Uh, like ground floor deck, right? So like concrete structure within a, a wood frame built on top, and usually those get to like four or five mm-hmm. levels. Usually at the at the fourth level, you find that the market is going to um, expect and is willing to pay for an elevator. Right. Um, right so yeah. I like I wouldn't say like a four story <clears throat> walk up if there's a an elevator. It. So like we have a development in West Salem right now. We're we're doing feasibility on, and it's like that's a big question. Is like okay, is is West Salem's demographic going to like, are, are they going to pay for an elevator for a three-story building or, or for a four-story building? Right. You know, because you can maybe get more units, but are, you know, are, are you going to really be able to attract a tenant base that's right. willing to huck groceries oh, yep. and kids up and down the the four floors? I've so. done it before. Don't worry. I yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. no, as have I. Well, man, the and then of there's the idea
0: of, like, is there going to be hallways or are those outside, like, yeah when you have the elevator like how does that part work right? yeah
1: yeah it, it requires some more like interior corridors yeah. um, and fire rating assemblies and things like that but yeah so three-story walk up 60 units uh six buildings it's in lebanon so close to like uh you know oregon state and corvallis um lebanon is actually a really interesting market you know it's kind of like a A secondary market, smaller population, uh, but there's been a lot of like hospital and institutional Mm -hmm. investment and development um, nearby, and so Mm -hmm. some really good demographics. um, Just probably lack of housing too. Yeah, lack of housing, population growth, proximity to state schools, Mm -hmm. um, and then programs that have kind of satellite campuses um, that are now positioned, you know, proximate. So this this particular side, it's it's a single asset. Uh, syndication so so it's project specific that's not a fund where you're putting in a number of different projects mm. and hoping for like a blended return based on the on the result of those projects it's specific to you know this this is the 60 unit project you're investing in you know you you, you put money in you own a portion of of that asset and then um through the development cycle it's <coughs> you know, you know doing a return so it'd be a five-year hold Um, So we've underwritten with basically fixed rate, you know, construction uh, financing and then a five year term. Um, Logan and and Mark. um, So Mark being a partner and then Logan being a co-sponsor with with uh, SMI fund. Basically, um, you know, work together to kind of structure the. financing terms in a way to get rid of some some additional prepaid there Um, because it was crucial for us in this respect um, to be able to underwrite to a five-year hold okay and that's kind of where we saw the um, the IRR being um, being highest like the return potential for an investor was was just best positioned at kind of a a five-year hold so um, yeah as far as just giving you high level that's um, 19% targeted project level (coughs) IRR 17% 17% targeted investor IRR, and that is a 2.17x um, investor equity multiple. So, um, to our point about IRR, just depending on the on the metric that you're looking for, that would be an example um, of a pretty tangible project that's you know underway.
2: Um, you know, I, I want to go back to bigger pockets. I know like a lot of the hosts there, Brandon Turner has Open Door Capital, and they always talk about here we have a syndication where you can buy 200 units, and it's a known quantity. Yeah. Here's the rent roll. Here's the numbers. Obviously they, they can show you that it's gonna have a return once they make that purchase. Obviously you're doing syndication new construction. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kinda talk about the process of obviously, you know, obviously that it's kinda really easy to show a return because rent goes up this amount per year, the building's there, we might have, have to put in the repair costs, but you're doing new construction and there's not any numbers behind it. Can right. Talk so about-
0: if you put in a hundred thousand dollars today, yeah. What what is that what are the time frames on that? What does that look like based on, like let's say the return ends up being exactly what you suggested in, in the pro forma.
1: Yeah, yeah, so you would like over five years expect to get 217,000 back. And okay. that would be full cycle. Now you wouldn't see any dollars coming in to your mailbox basically the first two years because that's gonna be um, an 18 month uh, build cycle. Mm-hmm. And then it's gonna be, um, you know, let's call it yeah. a, a six to nine month stabilization Then yeah, there's, the lease period. up, right? Lease up. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, you, you basically, um, Quote, endure that phase in order to get, um, you know, the, the, the IRR that you're getting through a five-year hold. And then year three, basically the cash flow starts uh, being delivered. And, um, you know, so I think it could be modeled out really easily. I don't know in terms of year three, which you could expect on a, on a hundred thousand off the cuff, but more or less um, through the five years. So years three, four, five, and then the equity event upon sale, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd receive two hundred and seventeen grand back if model mm-hmm. you know, if the model replicated reality exactly.
0: And so you you own like a percentage of it in that sense, like so if you put in a hundred thousand dollars and it was one percent, would you just get like one percent of the net rents or something like that every year until you hit your two seventeen or if you don't hit that that'll get refunded when you refinance or sell or is that kind of how it works? Yeah,
1: yeah. So you have an operating agreement and that determines um, basically the share class, the share price, Mm -hmm. and then the, the ownership structure. Um, so oftentimes it's it's built out to be um, like pro rata right so um, say you know 100 shares are needed and and you contribute one um, then you own one percent and and yeah your ownership on the asset level would would follow through you know it'd be one percent of the of the asset so you're entitled to one percent of the cash flows one percent of the proceeds upon a a finance event and that's all structured in in the operating agreement Um, and so it's 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 new language to some, but it's interesting. Um, it's dry reading, um, and and it's a big world of of structuring equity. But um, our goal is really um, an expectation of clarity. Like if 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 the operating agreement can't really be read through with expectations set um, with strong you know confidence and and fairly low levels of like unnecessary sophistication like that's really our goal because it's kind of the can you explain it to a nine-year-old yeah you really shouldn't be in the business of doing something that you can't explain to your kid. so um you know we really try to to model these out in a fairly simple way there is like um so certain hurdles right or you've probably heard of like waterfalls um that you can build in so you know once you hit like a 15% 15% targeted IRR then there's a split that goes 60 40 60 to what would be considered the LP investor and 40 to the to the general partner um, mm-hmm. or, or GP um, and so that's you know that's represented um, but oftentimes there's like layers and layers of waterfall that we've just found not to really be helpful um, right. or necessary.
0: Yeah. And so then like so in this case, the maximum that you would receive would be the kind of that two, that 217 total, um, whether it happened during the, the le- like while you're just getting rents monthly or whether it happened at the sale or refinance. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say for whatever reason, uh, it didn't get leased up fully, you know, rates the price, the value when you go to sell it or refinance wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. Is there like a minimum that you would get receive or is just all that money at risk? Or how, and how does that part work?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a, I think it's an interesting question to consider as, as to um, applying that same question across the development phase. And there um, there is inherent risk right. with real estate uh, development, right? That is kind of an underlying assumption there. Um, and so by participating, you know, the, the contract that you would read is, is going to have certain clauses. It's, it's going to address um, pandemics, well, right? Global events, yeah, wars, things of that nature. Prices go up on different yeah, things. Yeah. And you know, we've, somebody dies that's like crucial to the project. Yeah, yeah. so those scenarios will be, will be spoken to and then defined. But more or less, um, so let's use the example of like, say there's 100 shares and, and you, you contribute one and you mm-hmm. have that 1% ownership. So let's talk to just basically through construction. So let's say um, yeah, some some um, unforeseen and you know large obstacle that that can't be solved through for some reason comes up. There's going to be inherent value in the in the in the project itself, and part of the value that's been uh, I'll say forced or or created at this phase would just be through entitlements because. Essentially, there was a piece of bare land. That bare land has been developed with full engineering documents submitted to the municipality and approved mm-hmm. for 60 units of construction. Mm-hmm. So you you do force value right. through just the land development or entitlement play there. Yep. So as you contribute, we'll say one of a hundred shares. Um, you know, you at that point, in terms of looking at it as like, what is what is uh, my contribution like collateralized? off of. Um, You know, you would retain 1% of of that existing asset. Now, um, in terms of, you know, process of return on like a liquidation event, it would be, you know, bank would be senior in priority. Mm -hmm. It would then be LP investors, um, you know, essentially. And so um, that's how that would flow through. And then the GP essentially would, you know, receive whatever the residual amount or nothing um, after the return would be delivered in that kind of like worst case scenario event. But talking through specifically to um, for a project like this that's fully engineered, approved by the city, um, strong legal team in place, um, you have complementing skill sets through you know SMI fund management, um, ourselves as, as as builder, Skyline Builders, and then a legal team surrounding you with a SEC attorney, uh, an accounting firm, and a third party kind of mm-hmm. audit uh, review committee. Right. So you have this professional team that. In the combination of efforts is is going to work through uh, to deliver uh, a finished project now right. let's talk to you okay so what I mean, about
0: everyone is motivated to finish it right? uh, yeah yeah there's <laughs> huge good. incentive right um, <laughs> So that's how you get paid we all
1: have yeah we all have uh, competing opportunities for um, for time and investments and, and resources so that yeah it's it's a huge priority in terms of, of delivery and, and execution um, but yeah, it's a great question in terms of, like, and the
0: faster that you finish it, the more you, that you will make out of the project, completely, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because again, yeah, if, if, uh, you know, if you save a day, it, it ultimately does have an impact on, on return from, from an IRR perspective. But to your point, if, you know, the pro forma is going to model, uh, a large set of assumptions, you know, it's, it's cap rate compression, it's interest rates at mm-hmm. the time yep. of, uh, of sale of, of modeled sale. Um, you know, it's, it's property taxes, it's rent rate escalation, it's, um, overhead costs, you know, right. asset You can only management. predict so much. So all of those assumptions are, um, they're not hypothetical. You know, they are, um, they are, uh, specifically validated, I would say, in terms of, uh, the numbers that go into the pro forma, but still subject to reality. And so you get five years down the road and let's say that, um, let's say that property taxes uh were a little uh higher than expected that operation costs were a little higher than expected and even though we're all expecting and and hoping for interest rates to come down you know within a five-year time horizon let's say that they don't so um yeah ultimately um your your dollar is still going to you know be receiving kind of those pro rata returns, mm-hmm. um, but if the the overall return uh, profile through the um, the returns models that are established in the operating agreement, if if they're lower than projected, then so too your proportional returns would be lower now. Um, the waterfall can be a really effective um, tool for an LP investor, um, just the way that like preferred equity um, or debt could be, right? Oftentimes you would utilize, um, say, like a debt fund or pref equity to say, you know what, this is going to be your preferred level of return. We're going to deliver a guaranteed 10%. Um, you're going to hit that 10% before the GP gets paid. Now, um, the mm-hmm. waterfall, in a similar respect, but to a lesser degree uh, gives the LP investor uh, a similar opportunity. So in, in talking specific to Hickory Lakes, there's a waterfall at 15% IRR. So your your CPA advisory firm would be running you know the, the, the books and accounts. Um, they'd be working through the, the pro forma model um, as you know, as it's actually working through the business cycle and then perhaps you know you say, okay, it looks like we're really, we're at like a 16% IRR. Well, there's a 15% waterfall um, with a with a, um, a benchmark at 15% for the LP. So they're still going to get their 15% before the split is triggered, which would then go 60% to the LP, 40% to the GP. Um, so there is a little bit of kind of a, a threshold for um, – overall uh, reduction in, in asset profit that mm. wouldn't necessarily be recognized until it was reduced you know under that um, that fifteen percent IRR threshold if that makes sense yeah
0: a little bit complicated but it makes sense
1: no uh, I mean it,
2: it makes sense like like you mentioned there's some people who just want that flat ten percent return your IR could obviously that you're putting that number to be extremely conservative compared to what your internal rate return, because you do need that money to come in to fund your project. Mm-hmm. Um, basically is how I'm kind of hearing it. And then there's obviously the ones who are in it for their actual share of the, uh, the return, and they're, they're a little bit more of the active uh, members of the stock is what I'm thinking. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they're, So they're, They have the, the higher risk tolerance uh, for the project and right. will get the bigger return, but there's some people who are just funding the project are happy with their solid 10 8% return. They just want to keep their money growing and they're yeah, promised that. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's just figuring out, you know, that's a different investor base mm-hmm. that has a different purpose for their capital right. than um than somebody who wants the upside yeah. of of uh, pure, you know, equity LP ownership. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And, and um is there other like let's say so, so as you since you're a percent owner does that mean that you get also like have the tax advantage of writing off um, depreciation during the project's?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would. So um, Logan on our team would be um, an incredible resource in terms of talking through some of the tax advantages. As would um, the the CPA who's uh, retained on on the SMI fund. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of things that, that you can do to structure um, and, and kind of uh, prioritize the depreciation up front, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, we have the ability to do that through through new construction, through a cost segregation analysis. Right as well and so the the tax benefits flows through and and is accelerated in those it's not just the
0: developer that gets the it's the you know the investors sometimes invest in syndications so that they can get that tax correct correct. especially if it's like the first couple of years that people like that in new construction i understand yeah
1: yeah yeah and we draft um a a little bit in regards to um the sophistication of uh of logan and his team at, at smi fund in regards to um The mechanisms through which investors can participate, Um, there's a variety of different uh, tools and strategies, um, you know, whether it's through, you know, retirement accounts or or tick holdings um, that, you know, he would be really qualified to speak about. Um, But but, yeah, certainly we do see investor profiles, you know, individuals who are um, are going after participation. Um, for for more of a capital preservation mm. um priority um yeah. balanced with the uh expectation of return yes. got it
0: uh, so so couple of kind of quick questions here as we kind of getting closer to our time what a, one thing is like what are what's the ideal lot or land that you're looking for right now if someone like you know had something or knew of something like in terms of a, a project, what's the good fit for your firm?
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. And I, I would be curious to ask a similar question of, of, of both of you in terms of, um, you know, the the ideal asset that, that you'd have an opportunity to like say, hey, if it's in my portfolio in 2024, like pick it out. It's, it's so interesting where like we all have preferred um, asset types but like a deal is a deal. And yeah, so sure. I think exactly. I, I've i had to uh, evolve in terms of my um, being, being aware of like, from a personal motivational standpoint, um, what things you gravitate towards because mm-hmm. of interest or competence or challenge, whatever it may be, yeah. and then in terms of um, delivering return to an investor, just being wary that, like, literally, maybe the duplex lot down the street that you cross by every time your family goes on a walk, like, it, it might actually deliver a better return than the 30-unit right. high-density mid-rise, yep. right? And and maybe that's because you have a relationship with the seller, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some seller carry opportunities there. Um, maybe it's because the land use um, is is very simple; it's it's readily developable. Or there's some sort of incentive, right? Maybe right. there's urban renewal funds yep. at play, or who knows. Um, so I think I think it's uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll maybe um, just say it this way: um, from from Skyline Builders' perspective, you know, really we're taking on um, uh, a variety of different asset types in terms of new construction profile, mm-hmm. um, and in the right environment, I think a, a you know a duplex or larger. Um, we have kind of a custom homes division. But speaking to more of the investment side, um, you know, duplex and on is, is really something that I've seen feasible return potential for um, in terms of potential for, for investment returns. Um, the project type that we would gravitate towards out of um, competence, uh, motivation, and, and I think just maybe the eagerness for a challenge would be um, You know, generally apartment complexes, mixed use complexes that would have um, any variety of, we'll say, um, 12 to 80 units in in multifamily um, dwelling mix, you know, a range of different unit types. Um, in a mixed-use complex, perhaps some, some retail commercial exposure, you know, likely at the ground floor. That's the type of asset class that we really enjoy uh, being involved in through all, all cycles of the development process, um, as is, uh, like, kind of light industrial, like, storage, um, flex space. Flex space is a really interesting asset class, mm-hmm. um, both from a builder perspective, but also just in terms of um, the the – Returns potential the demand for that type of asset I think is really strong in a lot of our municipalities. Um, Self storage would be you know in the mix. yeah what well. sorry what's
0: a what would be example of a project that everyone could understand for flex space. That-
1: Yeah, so think about um, kind of like your metal shell type uh, industrial buildings, clear span, open space, just clear, dry, warm, flexible use, concrete slab, right? Some basic utilities stubbed up to the building and you're driving through a complex and you might see like a Sherwin-Williams, an auto body, uh, a paint shop, touch up, um, you know, a window window
2: tinting. um. So we're thinking like Amazon Warehouse, uh, UPS... You know etc yeah really
1: it. designed for like industrial use but flexible for like the small business to large-scale commercial use gotcha. so yeah, yeah it may even be like you've got like a charles schwab you know um and any assortment of uh of commercial uses that are mixed into that kind of uh flexible okay. um, complex and so uh very simple to to construct um but in 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 those development types, you know, your your tenant base is really important, figuring out like who's your anchor tenant. Can you get pre-leased um and and kind of create like a, a lease up momentum um uh, because you're relying on you know kind of a pure commercial tenant base. Nice. Uh, but those are probably most interesting. But likewise, like I, I would be very interested how you guys kind of work through that because you're in a position of um both on the mortgage side, but also on the real estate investor side of like seeing probably actually a lot higher repetition of deal types and yeah. exposures than, than I would be. Like I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, oftentimes I feel like I'm a horse with my blinders on and that it makes me curious for, for inputs like either of you.
2: I mean, for me, I, I, as I've learned over the years, um, there's projects that have really great return, but are just more work, more active. And mm-hmm. so now I'm just tending to steer away from that. So I'll, like I said, if there's any active aspect, I try to, tend to steer away from that as much as possible sure. because I'm not looking for a job. I'm mm-hmm. looking for an investment, something that grows. And so like passive, I yeah. will take a lower return as long as I can just be completely hands off and not mm-hmm. stressed and think about it. Because mm-hmm. I've had my best years ever in the past. And uh, let's say I was the most stressed I've ever been.
1: Completely, you know.
2: Completely. So that's like short term rentals, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, that are just a lot more active, people complaining, like you're literally running a business customer service. So, that I tend to stay away from unless the returns are great enough for me to hire property management to do it all without me thinking. You bet.
1: You're, yeah. you're looking at, like, talking about a metric. It's like time time and return. Like, yeah. what, what am I putting into it? What am I getting? But then is there a margin there where if, if I alleviate some of my time, can I still get the return so that, you know, all things considered, it, it, it makes little difference in terms of what's required of you from a day-to-day perspective, but you're happy yeah. with, with what it's doing? Yeah,
2: I mean, freedom is important to me, you know. Like and like I say if it adds some more... Like let's say I, it, I can expend a certain amount of cash. I get an okay cash on cash return, but I have more financial freedom that's added to my pockets every month. And that's I mean I don't have an exact number, but if it's a solid amount then I'm I'm comfortable with it. Okay. I haven't really yeah, done. I'm not right. calculating. Yeah, that. I mean if we're <laughs>
0: if you're putting in like twenty to forty, and it's something that you know cash flows and um, there's some upside to it. Like yeah. you know maybe it it has a lot that you could cut off, or maybe it is just a good location that equity will grow over time mm-hmm. um or it's it's recently built and super easy to manage um i think those are kind of the like he said you know less time less less worry <laughs> no doubt yeah
1: yeah it's isn't it's funny where i think real estate um the decisions we make like sometimes it is short term but you know as as we're all kind of in that path towards building like a personal you know portfolio those assets kind of become like the the story of. There's a connection there between like lifestyle and the part that they're going to play, and so kind of just thinking about like, okay, it, does it deliver what I want today? But if it's going to be around in three years, like, is it going to deliver, or or play a part? Right? Maybe there's there's a sale, or maybe it creates something. Um, that allows for a congruency of your like lifestyle motivations at a a later phase. But yeah, it is, there's like a, there's a story behind every, um, every asset, every deal. And it it is interesting. I think sometimes when you try to, there's such a balance, like you kind of try to figure out, um, how they're going to fit in and how they'll relate to other project opportunities. Um, but we all know like timing is as important as anything. Like if, if they don't play off of something that we expected or there was a dependency there that didn't occur, then, um, you know, you can you can be left with kind of just like, oh, yeah, I still have that one on 14th Street. That oh, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs>
2: let's just say like, you know, the beginnings of my journey were baby steps. Like I was yeah. ripping out drywall, dealing with, you know, like 50 years of mold, et cetera. And now I'm, I'm like, OK, I'm paying out for that. But those are the learning experiences that we have as we grow yeah. our experiences, learn, um, you know, how to work with people and, mm-hmm. you know, grow our portfolio. We can't just jump from A to Z immediately. Completely. So Completely. that's how I think about it.
1: Yeah. No, for sure.
2: And
0: speaking of Z, what is like your longer term plan? Are you wanting to keep building multifamily in the sort of like greater Salem, you know, within twenty minute, thirty minute type area that's like kind of rural, smaller town type stuff? You just wanting to keep doing that and just build a big portfolio? Or are you wanting to like build skyscrapers in Portland? Like what what's your kind of long term vision for the company?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think um, last few years have been pretty close up to the window um, in terms of uh, you know just pressures of of uh, starting and running a small business. Right. Um, you know, blessed with an incredible partnership with with Mark and some really key individuals, um, but certainly has been a season of like um, you know scaling up has been a, a big priority. Um, and it's it's just interesting. I think uh, we're in a little bit of a um, a turning point um, where in the last few years there's been a real priority to create um, track record um, right. reputation yep. brand awareness um, and so some of those um, priorities are, are moving into more of the established camp and and with that um, yeah I don't know that I would say we're like Taking our foot off the off the gas, but more so just figuring out um, where the foot needs to be. Mm. Um, I don't I don't know that um, either of us are inclined in terms of um, wanting to just continue to scale into larger and larger projects. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really motivated personally just to have you know a, a name or a tower or you know as many cranes as I can in the sky. Right. Um, you know, I think I think one of the the core values and um, I guess similarities uh, shared in our team is I think an enjoyment of seeing things move forward, um, mm-hmm. solving hard problems, um, creating you know the built environment you know a physical result of um, of your efforts um, that are standing at day's end and you know that can that can take place in a lot of different environments you know um, that could be a, a renovation to an accessory dwelling unit. Yep. Um, where there's, you know, a, a, a great return, but a, a beautiful result, um, aesthetically pleasing and, and rents well, um, you know, that can be assisting um, a client landowner who, you know, has a strong investor or business background, but maybe not in real estate and just helping guide them through that process. And so that there's a level of confidence um, to navigate um, to the end result that, you um, you know that 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 you know that will benefit their family or their situation, um, but maybe just through limited you know experience that they just don't quite have that that conviction. Like I think those things are all really gratifying. Um, but the environments that that we gravitate towards, I think, is um, you know in terms of deal structuring um, and and looking at land development opportunities. Um, it's it's just a fun it's a fun process to have any number of uh, you know development projects going at a time and that you know that's in the future um, likely would be a mix of of subdivisions you know residential small commercial um, tenant improvements mm-hmm. you know just kind of a, a mix of uh, of involvements i think um, variety change challenge those are all things that our our team would speak to as, as as far as core values go now um sometimes you pick and choose and sometimes um you know, your, your project portfolio might not be perfectly represented, you know, to uh, your ideal asset, asset type. But like, I think just showing up, right? So it's, it's the understanding that, um, you know, you can't, you can't facilitate or manufacture a reputation. And so whether it's the ADU, or the small family business or a 60-unit complex, like, are we able to Maybe a basketball court. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A basketball of, court? I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Indoor yeah. basketball court. Oh, That'd man. Great. Yeah. Someday. Let me know if you want me to build one because uh, I'll have to do it for you, not not me. But, um, yeah, I think just the, the enjoyment of, you know, staying disciplined, um, finding opportunities for new exposures, um, but but also like you know operating in our core competencies, which I think um, honestly in this season like it's it's relieving to um, with confidence be able to point to some of those core competencies and operationalize um, you know some of those those focus areas um, and be okay with that um, without the the need to be like okay it's you know it's it's skyscrapers in Portland so that's yeah. where we t- cool. are today and I think the Love combination that. of new individuals key personnel um future hires obviously can can shift and change um those dynamics quickly we just started the excavation division which has been kind of a new um, oh, challenge and i think a really great complementing uh, business division for for our areas of focus um, But, you know, just doing what's in front of us well um, would be kind of where I would go.
2: I mean, I liked what you said earlier about, uh, you know, when you're picking and choosing your projects about finding ones with like new challenges. I mean, that's how you learn. You might find something that you might love, you know, Mm -hmm. with that challenge and might be something you build as part of your business and we'll never know until you hit it. Or you might absolutely hate it. It's like, I'm never doing this again. No doubt. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it's it's an outcome, right? Like it's not necessarily win or lose, but I think to create like a a resilient uh, mechanism you do. You have to pursue um, different exposures and be able to deliver um, different types of value to the marketplace, right? Um, because as we've all seen in the last five years, like things change a lot, and environmental factors do matter. And so, um, I think to be able to have some dexterity there is, you know, is, is going to be, um, I don't know, create create some some insulation and um, sustainability from a, a company wide perspective. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if people are looking to get a hold of you to, you know, see if they want to start a career in development or just want to get a hold of you in general, interested in your pitch deck? Yeah, uh, how how can they find you?
1: Yeah, no doubt. So, um, Skyline Builders, uh, we have an Instagram. Um, so check us out, Skyline Builders, on Instagram. Um, I'm tagged here if you can see me off the podcast and uh, on YouTube. And then, um, so yeah, Landon Hatton. So Landon at skyline-co.com would be my email. And I'd be super motivated, you know, um, regardless of um, exposure, interest, background, whatever it may be, Um, you know, if you're a college kid and interest at any respect in construction development, Um, investment real estate or otherwise um, man would love those type of of conversations but um, yeah feel free to hit us up myself Mark um, Mark of course is going to be the more eloquent smart sophisticated (laughs) one so I'll I'll defer for financing and, and a lot of uh, syndication aspects to to Mark, but I know he'd say the same thing and would would be overjoyed to uh, to chat with anybody.
0: And speaking of high school and college kids, you mentioned that you did leadership leadership um, student government. I did student government in high school. Stephen and I are involved in leadership and a nonprofit. Yeah, how how like important is that for kids to like think about? like doing and like would you if you had to go back would you definitely choose to do that again
1: no doubt man that that's such a good question i think um like we'd probably all consider ourselves pretty execution oriented right like uh, we want to see results at the end of the day um i think just it's so valuable um to stay grounded and um you know i've i think it's been a fairly one-dimensional season of life and i'm really trying to to pivot back towards um you know, different environments like that, that I can pursue, um, just because there's, there's, oh my goodness, it's a context setting, right? Like when, when you're hit with a moment, just in terms of, um, taking a step away from, from the glass, um, seeing all the things that, um, you know, are, are easy to take for granted for, or easy to just, um, unnecessarily take credit for, mm. um, and, and, uh, and just, like spend some time in reflection about, you know, the individuals that have, have been small parts to, to our path um, and, and what all has had to be there. So, I, it's yeah, it's hugely important, I think, um, whether whether you're looking for, okay, you know, I want to be well-rounded and um, don't know what the future holds, but exposing yourselves, you know, fi- finding challenging environments, mm-hmm. right, um, figuring out how to work with people like you mentioned. Yep. And I think the school setting um, – Through college, whatever it may be, um, there's some some great opportunity there just to navigate um, group dynamics, um, an understanding of like personality types, how to get projects done, like how to make how to
0: make a decision as a group of people. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I think
1: there's like almost uh, unreplicable opportunity in the school setting to actually um, to figure out how to well you know work well with with people. Mm but yeah, if your question is any more in terms of like the, the giving back side, I, you know, I think um, each of us, like it, it should be obviously a different answer for, for all of us, but um, something that's so worth thinking about um, because those guideposts um, along all of our lives you know, are instrumental and in, in the key voices and influences, folks who are willing to stop, spend the time, have patience, see where we're at, where we wanna go, see the potential, you know, in our tone or voice or interest, and um, just give the time of day. Like I think is is crucial. So, um, yeah, practically, you know, Mark and I were were at a school a few weeks ago, um, just kind of presenting on oh, what cool. we were doing, and um, you know, involved in and um, in like a, a couple kids non nonprofits in in the Salem area, just trying to um, yeah offer offer um, insight, support, encouragement. Um, who really cares about if the future, you know, overlaps with with development and construction. But like, man, just to be uh, positive voices in in kids' lives is, is for sure a priority to to both of us. But yeah, I mean, I'd say pursue it. Um, those days, a lot's changed since um, days in student government, you know, but it's- <laughs> But
0: it's, the lessons are, they, they hold. They do. You still use them. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you find yourselves in environments where you don't have everything that you need um, to excel. And like like you say, that's what makes you grow, change, and evolve. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I totally agree.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Landon. We really learned a lot and really
1: appreciate it. No doubt, yeah. Thanks to you both. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.